So it begins with the family. You've got the parents and two boys. All right, that's all the members that we know of. The first son died young, but actually, by the time we catch up with this family, everybody's died. This is a bit of a non-standard family reunion because it's taking place on the other side, in the afterlife. So everybody except the first son died of natural causes after a long life, but somewhere during his long life, the second brother turned into, well, a jerk. The parents started finding him abrasive and hard to love, and even after they died, and he died, and they met again on the other side, he was still hard to get along with. Even though he left his body behind, it's not like it restarts your personality. And it doesn't wipe away resentments if you're still holding on to them. So one day in the afterlife, the second brother starts accosting his parents because of a long simmering jealousy he had had for his brother. Remember the one that died earlier. And remember, because of brother two's misdirected life, there was just too much baggage for the parents to hear any valid concerns. It was a mess, and I don't know if it could get sorted out in this life, but in the afterlife, there's a workaround. Time and aging there isn't linear in the same way that it is here. And it's actually common for people to be brought back into previous states of life, to go from, say, an adult back to childhood. So by divine providence, suddenly Brother Two was no longer an arrogant, selfish, demanding adult, fully culpable for the impact he was having. Here was a child, and a child expressing this pained urge, saying that he wanted to take all his parents' love for himself. He was jealous of the love that his other brother had gotten. Maybe you have kids, or maybe you felt this with a child, that they can express something that with an adult would be off-putting or offensive, but with a child, it actually opens your heart more to their helpless condition. The parents felt this, triggered by the invisible strings of the grand love that parents have for their children. So their frustration and upset melted away, and now they had the space to want to comfort and console. Well, who should show up then but Brother One? And Brother One, having grown up surrounded by the love of heaven, spoke to him through the pure thought-to-heart communication of the Spirit, saying to his brother, Listen, I would give you everything I have. I want the love I get to be love for you. I want my joy to be your joy. And to see you fully and profoundly happy is all I'm looking for. And hearing that, against his own character, Brother Two started to cry saying that he couldn't help himself, that love itself was speaking. And isn't that what we're looking for? To hear love speak again, to refine that which we thought was lost forever. Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg in Life. Today we're going to be talking about reunions in the afterlife. My name mm. is Curtis Childs. Yeah, we, yes, we are. My name is Curtis Childs and I'm your host. This is Dr. Jonathan Rose, our hey, lovely Curtis. co-host. And uh, it's a little easier for us today because we don't have to convince anyone out there that reunions are an awesome thing. When you it, haven't it, seen somebody for a long time, like yeah. it's so great to get together. Again. Yeah, I mean, high school reunions notwithstanding. <laughs> the, the kind we're thinking of is like, let's say, you know, you, you come back from the military and, and the kids oh, and see the parents. Oh, surprise and all yeah. Yes, right. What, right. what Overwhelming. Uh, what TV network doesn't want to broadcast that? Who doesn't want to click on a video of that stuff? Yeah. But imagine if the reunion was happening not just with someone you hadn't seen for a while or you thought was in danger, potentially, but with somebody who you thought 
had ceased to exist. Wow, right. Was just in the void, gone. And then you suddenly see them sort of rematerialize in yeah. front of you. Such joy, you would feel. Because there's, sure, I mean, some of us have a belief in life after death, but not everyone, and yeah. the, the, the strength of that varies. So, And even if you have that, there's so little contact, as we've talked about in other yeah. videos, that you might think, well, even if there is an afterlife, maybe yeah. they're not there, or they're yes. not okay, or something. Right, going on. but to instead, oh, you're here, you're alive. That, that's the kind of reunion, that's the mm. kind of joy we're talking about. And we gave, Swedenborg obviously witnessed a lot of these in the afterlife. The one that we opened the show with was from Spiritual Experiences 3146 and Secrets of Heaven 2304 if you want to do a little more research on your own. But he talks about reunions all over the place. This is Heaven and Hell 494. Since this is what we are like as spirits immediately after our life in the world, meaning we're still who mm. we are, our friends and people we had known in the world then recognize us. Mm. Spirits perceive who we are, not only from our faces and voices, but also from the aura of our life when they come near. So they're feeling like, oh, it's, it's you, you know? It's yeah. You. And the other life, now check this out. Whenever we think about someone, we call up that individual's face in our thought. Similar thing happens here, doesn't it? Yeah. Along you with picture somebody. Yeah, yeah. right. But along with many details about her or his life. Mm. And when we do this, the other is called oh, to Oh, that's us. different than here. So how would that, do you want to try that? Yeah, let's sure. Try, okay, so let's think about... Who should uh, we think about? How about Cara Dom, Latin Cara, consultant okay, for the new sure. century edition of the Theological Works of Emmanuel Swedenborg. All right, so we're thinking oh, yeah. about her, right. and in the spiritual world, too, there would be this sort of manifestation of the details of her life, and then suddenly... Oh, Hi, hey, Cara. Hey. Hey, uh, I thought I wasn't coming in until later. Yeah, well, we, we thought that uh, we would just show the audience something. Yeah, we're yeah. sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, see so yeah. It worked. So that's the power of love in the spiritual world. Here, doesn't matter how much you love someone, it won't bring them to you. Unless there's some physical change that they go through to get to you or something. Yes, right. but they And they won't necessarily know you're thinking about them. No, but in that's the spiritual right. world, love pulls you in literally like gravity. Mm. Things like this happen in the spiritual world because thoughts are shared there. So it's as if you get an email when someone else is thinking about you. Yeah, right, right, a notification. And because space is not what it is in the natural world. This is why as soon as we arrive in the other life, we are all recognized by our friends and relatives and by people we have known in one way or another. As soon as you arrive, boom, that's, that's what awaits you in the other world. Further, we talk with each other and continue to see each other in keeping with our friendship in the world. I've heard many people who had just come from the world overjoyed to see their friends again and their friends overjoyed that they had arrived. Yeah. Which uh, is probably even an understatement. With the reunions. Yeah. And so there's, there's reunions all over the spiritual world. That's right. Because there's all these people meeting after death. But Sweetmore even says that there are reunions for people who had never met before. Oh, interesting. So you're meeting people you haven't met. But like how, what do you mean? Well, he says here, kindred souls gravitate toward each other spontaneously, as it were. For with each other, they feel as though they're with their own family at home. While with others, they feel like foreigners, as though they were abroad. Mm. And when they are with kindred souls, they enjoy the fullest freedom and find life totally delightful. So these are like new old friends or something like that. Yeah. You meet people who just, oh, you connect immediately. In your community, you have this, such a similarity of heart and mind that it, it's like the familial ties yeah. that we have here. Which That's got to be a cool that's reunion. And it's very fun to think about it's those like, kind oh, of reunions, too. Yeah, like I can't believe you exist, you know, right. how you are. So right. we want to get into these reunions, and we're going to try to check off all the major boxes here. Okay. Our reunion checklist, we're going to have reunions of people with their ancestors, both okay. immediate sense. and distance, reunions of friends in the afterlife, of married couples. Hmm. And we're even going to throw in some negative reunions there. I guess that's inevitable, but why do you think... 
Are we going to talk about why that? I think what, like if, what purpose would that serve? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if, why why not just if people don't have something good to say, they never meet. What what could come out of that? Right. Uh, so we're going to get into it. All right. Right now. We want to begin talking about the reunion of ancestors. And if we're going to look at these reunions, we've got to look at what are the underlying mechanics of it? What, what pulls these people together? And I don't know if this sounds cliche or not, but it's love. Love is the driving force, the actual mechanism by which people come together. And Swedenborg writes that the stronger and deeper that the love is, the stronger the connection that pulls people together. And the strongest, deepest kind of love that he describes is what he calls conjugal love, or sometimes translated married love. This is the bond between two partners, which under the right conditions can get really strong and really deep. And that pulls those people together eternally. But also the gravity from that can be strong enough that it even pulls whole family groups together. Uh, so Swedenborg learned most of the stuff that he knew about this bond of love actually from people who had lived long ago in this world and who had, who had died and become angels in heaven. This is how he describes it. From these earliest people in heaven, I heard that marriage love by its very nature wants to belong wholly to the other and to do so mutually. When it does belong mutually and reciprocally to its spouse, it enjoys heavenly gladness. Moreover, people who lived in this kind of marriage love during bodily life live and dwell together in heaven as angels, sometimes even with their children. There's not a guarantee that a family dwells together. It has to do with, is there the love bonding them together? Very few from the modern Christian world live in this way. Zing, except for the modern Christian world being the Christianity of Swedenborg's day in the mid 1700s. Who knows how the current religious landscape or, or just spiritual landscape in general stacks up. But everyone from the ancient church, which was heavenly, does. And many from the ancient church, which was spiritual, do. So he's saying that this deeply bonding conjugal love was more common back then than it is now. But that's not the only mindset that bonds families together. Swedenborg talked also about what he calls innocence. And that is not just innocence as we think of it being relatively naive or, or inexperienced in the ways of the world, but it's a willingness to be led by God. So he says that kind of innocence can actually be a powerful force that was powerful enough to bring together whole generations of people into heaven together. This is how he describes it. Certain souls who had been with me were let into a state of innocence and from it spoke with me through spirits. And they declared that it is a state of such joy and gladness that the human ear, eye, mind, and understanding is incapable of perceiving it, for it is their innermost parts that are moved. They were with those of their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and thus the whole family for two centuries back, who were together and had been let into that heaven at the same time. The joy is such as to be entirely unutterable, as they were now telling me through spirits." So not only is this family reunited to generations and generations back, but they all get to move into this new phase of heaven together, which has got to be awesome. And now we're going to get to look at Swedenborg's encounter with his own relatives after death. Swedenborg says in a number of places that part of his process was to encounter everyone he had known 
in this life, in the other world. So there were hundreds of thousands of these reunions for him, but there were some especially significant ones. He encountered at some point two people who he refers to as his mothers. Wait a minute, you don't have more than one mother. What's he talking about? Oh, well, there was a sad thing in his family that when he was only eight years old, his birth mother, Sarah Bame, passed away. He was only eight years old and she died. And the year later, his father remarried another woman named Sarah, Sarah Bergia. And actually, his stepmother was very fond of Swedenborg, and Swedenborg was very fond of his stepmother. So interestingly, in the spiritual world, he encounters both of them together. That's who we think he's talking about here when he talks about his mothers. I spoke with people I had known well. My mothers told me that they had tidy places to live which they said could not be shown to me so as to prevent other spirits from getting a mental image of them. They said the places were given to them and were changed from time to time and that they were constantly busy there. They wanted to describe them but couldn't for the reason just given. They could only say that there were such places to live continually given to them and they were delighted to live there. You know, when a loved one passes away, you wonder, don't you, like, where are they? What's their life circumstance? It's very interesting that Swedenborg has this full access to the spiritual world, and yet even he is not allowed to know where they live, and it seems to be because it would leak from his memory into other spirits who are around, and, and maybe it's important that where they are is not known. Something that they shared together, and it's fascinating to me that they were together in the spiritual world, his mother and his stepmother, is that they had both been married to Jesper Svedberg, who was a well-known and prominent bishop of that time period. And so here's something that the two of them tell him about his father and an insight they had gained. Spiritual Experiences 4182, my mothers told me that during the life of the body, my father was very often away from home. They did not know where he was going, but he always returned feeling happy. I perceived from this that he had been sent out by the Lord to do various useful things for people, now here, now there, because he loved living an active life. They said, too, that without an active life, he could not enjoy life. So after one of these trips, he would come back in a happy state. This shows that spirits are sent out to be of use in various ways. So I like that insight. Here's a, here's a great reunion story where they're gaining an insight about this person that's important to all three of them and how it would make him happy to do the Lord's work out there. And here's another interesting story about people getting together and what they learn. We want to talk now about the reunion of friends. And for this, we chose a story of, that Swedenborg told of two angels who, when they were on earth, had become close, deep friends, but went off to heaven and went to different parts of heaven. Like they had different jobs to accomplish. They had different people they resonated with. So they weren't together all the time. But Swedenborg here sees them getting to visit each other. And we don't know if this is the first time they'd seen each other since they died, or if this is just getting to catch up with an old friend. But you're going to see the joy and the power of the reunion. One morning after I woke up, I saw two angels coming down from heaven. One was coming from the southern part of heaven, and the other from the eastern part. They were both in carriages drawn by white horses. The carriage that was carrying the angel from the southern part of heaven was shining like silver. The carriage that was carrying the angel from the eastern part of heaven was shining like gold. The reins the angels were holding in their hands were flashing with a fiery light like the rising sun. 
That is how the two angels looked from far away. When they came closer, however, they no longer looked as though they were in carriages. They were simply in their own angelic form, which is human. The one who came from the eastern part of heaven was wearing shining clothes that were deep red. The one who came from the southern part of heaven was wearing clothes that were sky blue. When they reached the lower regions below the heavens, they ran toward one another as if each were trying to be the first to reach the other. They hugged and kissed each other. I heard that when these two angels lived in the world, they formed a bond of deep friendship. Yet now one was in the eastern part of heaven and the other was in the southern part. The eastern heaven holds angels who focus on love from the Lord. The southern heaven holds angels who focus on wisdom from the Lord. After the angels spent a while talking about the magnificent things in their heavens, a question came up in their conversation about whether the essence of heaven is love or wisdom. They agreed right away that each one relates to the other, but they were discussing which one was the origin of the other. So that might not be what's the foundation of heaven, love or wisdom. That might not be what you want to talk about with your friends, but this maybe is the nature of their friendship. They continued that conversation and really enjoyed it, and then it was time for both of them to go home. Swedenborg says, After the angels had said all this, they left. As they were going back to their own heavens, stars appeared around their heads. When they go farther away from me, they looked as though they were in carriages again, as before. Again, this representation of the spiritual world and the changing states of mind to get back to their work. So now we're going to take a look at the reunion of married partners in the afterlife. And I feel like the question of whether or not married partners can get together again is a huge one. And it's one that people have been asking for millennia. Yeah, even though the Bible has a variety of statements related to marriage, which make for good debate material, it doesn't give us unequivocal answers about marriage in the afterlife. According to Swedenborg, it's not either we do or we don't. Um, it's that he learned that marriage in our world is a reflection of the divine mm. marriage of love and wisdom in God. We are made in the image of God, and so that includes getting to experience marriage with all of its joys and blessings. Yeah, but on the other hand, the outermost level that we live on in this world doesn't necessarily reflect that deeper spiritual reality. Mm, right, whereas in the spiritual world, our inner and outer self are completely aligned with each mm. other, so there's a perfect representation on the outside of inner reality. Right, and here it can kind of be a pain, but that's part of the way, the purpose of the physical world is that we can be di very different inside how we're thinking yeah, and feeling true. versus outside of how we're acting and what we're doing. So again, Swedenborg ends up bridging this middle ground. He writes that it is possible for married partners to be together forever in the afterlife, but it's not a done deal just because you made a physical contract in this world. Hmm. And no matter what our marriage may look like here on earth, the Lord wants to bless us with the joy of true married love. So he provides for each of us to have that soulmate connection with someone to eternity in heaven, if not before. Okay, so what does all this mean for, since we're talking about reunions here, what does it all mean for the different kinds of reunions partners can have in the spiritual world? Well, the way Swedenborg describes it, there's actually quite a lot of variety. 
and we can't make spiritual judgments on circumstances we witness in this world because only the Lord knows how in providence mm. he's leading all of us for our eternal welfare. Well, that's no fun. <laughs> like, what's <laughs> the point if you can't make judgments on people? All right, so what we're not gonna be able to do is tell you what the state of your marriage is in particular. That's, you know, for your friends or maybe your mother-in-law to do. But we, Swedenborg gave a lot of accounts of the variety of experiences that married partners have in the spiritual world. So this is not an exhaustive list, but we've got some here, so take it away, Cara. From Heaven and Hell 494. It often happens that married partners meet and welcome each other joyfully. They stay together as well, but for a longer or shorter time, depending on how happily they had lived together in the world. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, unless they had been united by real marriage love, which is a union of minds from heavenly love, they separate after having been together for a while. If the minds of the partners had disagreed, however, and if they had been inwardly repellent to each other, they break out into open hostility and sometimes actually fight with each other. Still, they're not separated until they enter the second state, which will be described shortly. What? Very well, shortly. Are you going <laughs> to leave us hanging? Like, what, what's the second state? Well, uh, if I can chime in, Swedenborg says that when we first enter the world of spirits, our life seems much the same as it was because we're kept in our outer selves for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he writes that in um, Conjugal Love that progressively, as married partners put off outward appearances and enter into their inward qualities, they gradually perceive what sort of love and mutual feeling they had had for each other, mm. and consequently, whether it is possible for them to live together or not. If it is possible for married partners to live together, they remain partners. But if it's not possible, they separate. The husband sometimes separating from the wife, the wife sometimes from the husband, and both of them sometimes from each other. A man is then given a suitable wife and a woman likewise a suitable husband. But for married partners who have genuine married love, Swedenborg says even when one of them dies, the two are not actually separated by the death of one. Mm -hmm. For the spirit of the deceased continues to dwell with the spirit of the one not yet deceased until his or her death, at which time they come together again and are reunited, loving each other even more tenderly than before because they are in the spiritual world. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's sort of that storybook ending. I mean, that's, that's what people are, are looking for, right? Yeah, but the thing is, how can you tell whether the love you have is genuine or not? I mean, I don't want people watching the show to start worrying with me about whether they love they have, have in their marriage is genuine or not. Right? Yeah, well, one simple definition of true married love that I love that Swedenborg gives is that heavenly marriage love exists when we live content in the Lord with our spouse, loving her or him tenderly, and with our children. Mm. Well, then I'm okay, I think. Yeah, pretty simple. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> but living, living content in the Lord, that captures that core idea of how important it is for us to trust the Lord's providence at work in our lives whether we can see yeah. it or not. Yeah, well, that's easy, just, just trust. I mean, so to, to trust <laughs> Providence for like this unseen force from God for something as big as soulmate yeah. management is tough to do. So we're not saying it's gonna happen right away for you, but we've got down some possibilities for reunions for people who, who marry. It couldn't it could could end up very, very well, but what if you never married? How do you have a reunion then? Are you just left out? Well, on the other far end of the spectrum, Swedenborg has some interesting things to say about people who during their lives in the world took a vow of celibacy, which was even more popular then than it is now. He (laughs) says of people who lived a celibate life in the world, if they're spiritual and they wish to be married, they're led to be married. But if not, and instead had completely turned their minds away from marriage, they joined communities of others who don't wish to be married. But 
if they were actually devilish inside and just wanted to appear holy, then they're more at home in hell. Mm, but, so wait a second, what happens then? Can you get married in hell? Well, not exactly. The rules are actually different in hell from what they are in heaven. Swedenborg does say that there are couples there, but it's more of a bond of lust, selfish desire, contempt, and so on. It doesn't last, and there are strict boundaries about behavior that are enforced there. So it's not just utter chaos, right. but it's different. Well, the bottom line is that it's our will or our desire which is the determining factor. It's not just whether we manage to find someone to marry in the world or what the circumstances right. are, but how we live and the choices we make in our spiritual lives. If people are unmarried but they've wanted to marry, they're provided with blessed marriages in heaven. Mm -hmm. So what's that like? I mean, what's the, what's the mechanism there? Okay, oh, I, I got to heaven, I'm at a bar, I don't, don't really see anybody, <laughs> download spirit. Okay, Cupid, no notifications. Yeah, I don't how, even know how that works. How but. do you meet people? It's a <laughs> yeah. problem everywhere, isn't it? Well, Swedenborg gives a beautiful overview in Heaven and Hell 383. He says, quote, I've been allowed to see how marriages are entered into in the heavens. Throughout heaven, people who are similar gather together, and people who are dissimilar part company. This means that every community consists of like-minded people. Like are drawn toward like not by their own will, but by the Lord. And in the same way, spouse is drawn towards spouse when their minds can be united into one. So at first sight, they love each other most deeply, see each other as married partners, and enter into their marriage. This is why all of heaven's marriages are the work of the Lord alone. They also hold a feast in celebration with many people gathered, and these feasts differ in nature from community to community. That's awesome. And how come you guys all have these quotes already lined up? Like, just I didn't get the memorization. Well, actually, we have a detailed account from Swedenborg of a marriage between two people who find each other in heaven, even including the details of the ceremony and the celebration. Mm. And it's not just anybody either, but a Russian empress, the Empress Elizabeth, who was born in 1709, died in 1762. So interestingly, she was both born and died within the span of Swedenborg's lifetime. Huh. And the man she meets and marries in the spiritual world is another contemporary, Count Magnus Julius de la Gardie of Sweden, born 1668, died 1741, 20 years before the empress. Huh. So she was an empress and he was a high-ranking nobleman. So he definitely knew about her and she probably knew of him. But we don't know whether they ever actually met while in the physical world. So everyone, without further ado, here is the heavenly love story of the empress and the count. Count de Lagardie had been married in the world and was together with his wife in the spiritual world, but they decide to separate. They go to a council to see if they can get a divorce. The council examines them and finds they have no inner similarity of affections, and so they are divorced. Meanwhile, the Empress Elizabeth, who never married, reconnects with different people she had connected with in the world. She had been engaged to a bishop in Lubeck, and she goes to speak with him, but finds that he is now with a mistress he had in the world, and they are in hell together. So any fantasy she had of being with him is dispelled. So then she goes to speak with a man who had courted her, whom she didn't really like back then. She pays attention to the sense she gets of him while they talk, and sure enough, her sense of him is unchanged and she still wants nothing to do with him. After these failed attempts at finding a connection, Swedenborg writes that, afterwards, she traveled round and came far from her place 
And then, as often happens, she did not know where she was nor who she herself was. And it's at this point, when she's feeling totally disconnected from her sense of who she is, that she meets Count de Lagardie, and they walk together and enjoy each other's company. But they don't know who the other is. They walk until she is headed homeward again, when by accident, they are separated. Wow, so they meet, but they don't recognize each other. And I love how once they meet, even though they don't recognize each other, her path just starts to tend homeward. I think that must not just be a coincidence. So the Empress keeps traveling. She goes a second time, and then on a third trip. And on this third trip, she travels the same way as the first time. And then again, by divine providence, she meets de la Gardie, and they love each other's company again. It is at this point that they recognize that they're destined for each other. Providence then guides them each back to their own communities. The Empress is made a governor of a society of Russians in the spiritual world, and de la Gardie comes to govern another society himself. Their paths cross again, literally, and this time de la Gardie comes with her to her palace, and there they decide to marry. As soon as they make the decision, an angel in beautiful white garments is sent from the community they are in to heaven to get a priest to marry them. The ceremony is very simple. The priest asks if they both consent, and once they say they do, he wishes them the grace and blessing of God, nothing more. The ceremony may have been simple, but the celebrations are far from it. Swedenborg sees de la Gardie travel to the Empress behind four pairs of horses, and then they receive congratulations from one group after another. Yeah, first small children from heaven are brought to speak to them, and the Empress is so moved by them that she goes into another room and weeps from heavenly joy over what they had communicated to her. Then eight older children come and congratulate them, and she kisses each one of them. After that, the next group to come is adults who had died as children and had grown up in heaven. And then after that, people from Russia come and congratulate them. And once all these groups have come through, then there are congratulations from different societies in heaven, one after the other, hundreds of them, each with their own sound and style. And all the while, there's music that embodies feelings that the children who are there are having. And if that wasn't enough, after this, they hold a feast with 30 guests. Then, once all the festivities are over, they share the night with each other, and afterwards, de la Gardie's appearance changes, and even his clothes change. The two of them then travel to his community together. And once they get there, even his home has changed into a beautiful palace with many rooms. They explore it together, and it's beautiful. They find rooms that aren't anybody's yet, which they recognize as a sign that the society they now live in is going to grow. Then some other people come and make beautiful congratulatory representations for them, which I picture being like 3D movies. And after that, they travel back to her home palace. Once there, Swedenborg writes that their love grows so strong that she desires to be one with him, even as to body, which takes place. Then they seem to be lifted up, as it were, from the mass of people. They are then one, two as to body, yet with one life. Afterward, they ride around her community in a carriage to present themselves to all the people there. Then after all this, they come into a state of innocence together and are seen around by many as if they're small children. Ah, well, isn't it nice when things work out? So we come here at the end to negative reunions. We said we would talk a little oh, bit about yeah, those. Yeah. So what, what are they? Because Swedenborg does report seeing them. What are they? 
Well, you know, when you have a negative relationship with somebody, if they're taking up space in your head, you feel resentment or you're angry and you think about them a lot. Uh, that's actually, in a weird way, a bond as well. Yeah. And that doesn't just get, you might wish it would, just sort of magically fall away if the other person dies or if you die, oh, we yeah. won't have to deal with that. Unfortunately, you do need to deal with that because it's a bond of a kind. It will draw you together. Swedenborg says in Spiritual Experiences, and look at how, how serious he is about this. This I know, that acquaintances, whether associates or friends or those they worship, Interesting. find each other in the other life. Interesting that the, the worship, the adoration. Even the celebrity thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. right. So let people beware of hatred, revenge, envy, lies, adoration, and the like. All different kinds of obsession, you might say. Yeah. I don't know. Because you will, this will lead to some kind of meeting. For these things in the other life sometimes miserably annoy them. Which <laughs> so sound, yes. sounds funny, but it's and probably from what he describes. Not. It's a yeah. It's a real. It's a real situation. People can drag each other down and so yeah. forth. It, it, yeah, it, it can be difficult. It's important to work that through. I'm sure that's why that happens because yeah. you need to clear that stuff up from this life. But you can actually do that in in this life. But how would you go about that? What, what would shift that? Yeah. Well, I mean, we did a whole show on it. Uh, rediscovering forgiveness. This is about kind of mm. loosening those grudges that we have. And from all accounts of what I've heard from Swedenborg, it's much easier to do that in this life. It's, mm. it's much cleaner and that's right. do it in your spirit here. I, I was so struck in that show a couple of weeks ago where the father whose son had been killed, he was spending a lot of time obsessing about the attacker and yes. then realized that was taking up space in his head and he could be thinking about his son instead. Yeah. So I think he's already done that. You know, when he goes to the afterlife, he's more likely to see his son than he is the attacker. Yes, and I think all this is a lesson. I mean, all this, the, the reunion stuff is a lesson in the power of these positive connections that we have. That's right. And that that's what we want to nurture and, and focus on uh, throughout our life, right? The more you can turn toward that love and nurture those bonds and positive feeling, praying for people who yeah. have hurt you or, or whatever, uh, because love is not just an abstraction. This is a major cornerstone of what Swedenborg says. Well, he, he, in True Christianity, he says, love is the force that holds all things in connection. Mm. And that spiritually, this is very literal, that you are gonna, whoever you have this love with, there's a connection there, and that's not gonna be broken by the death of someone. It's not gonna be broken by the death of both of you it will pull you back together and you're gonna get these amazing reunions. And the love that's formed in this world will cause tremendous joy on the other side. So it's a story about hope. I mean, well, really it's a, you know, it's a promise. All right, scratch that. It's really just about things finding their appropriate level. If you think about it, the current physical paradigm seems to suggest that, you know, a piece of rock will last for millions of years, but the love between people is just gone after a few decades because we die. That love, that this, the thing that really has the most depth to it and beauty to it, isn't what lasts. Well, he certainly isn't the only one, but as Swedenborg vividly describes, that love is still out there. And the people are still out there. And we're going to see our family again, see our relatives again, our friends and our spouses. And we're going to have that same love, but it's really taken even to the next level of possibility. For me, there's this existential satisfaction in the idea that while physical things can last for a while, it's the stuff in the heart, closeness, companionship. That's the stuff that's forever. And when we see those people we thought we'd lost again, I mean, we're going to have a lot to talk about.